Hello and welcome to Fringe Binge, Daily Doses from the Edinburgh Festival. It's episode two and already my voice is croaking more than a 60 a day docker. Today I catch up with my old friend and colleague Paul Sinner. We were meant to do the interview at the Newtown Theatre, but when I got there, we hadn't booked the room and I was promptly escorted off the premises. So we relocated to have a nice chat and a lovely little catch-up. I hope you enjoy the interview. Here we are. Now, what, what I'm going to do, Paul, I've actually got questions, you know. They're not general knowledge questions, are they? No. Are you so, fed up with people like doing quizzes? Because uh, ITV so. Scotland asked me general knowledge questions about Scotland this afternoon. I was like, come on. Come on. How many something. golf courses are there in Scotland? I was like, I don't care. Oh, God, that is so lazy. You would think of that. <laughs> right, let's crack on. <laughs> let's crack on with this interview. <laughs> well, it's going to be shorter than I expected. <laughs> I should also state, I'm here with Paul Sinner. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Paul. We're in his flat. We, were, we met at the new theatre where you're playing. New Town Theatre. The New Town Theatre. Where we were apologies. meant to have booked in advance the room to do this interview and forgot. So sorry about that. <laughs> so I just went outside and went, I'm meeting uh, Paul Sinner here at nine. And they went, uh, we don't think you are. I went, I think you'll find out. I actually made it official through his agent. And uh, I think they thought I was just a crazy fan. I think... you. Playing the fringe card just doesn't work that side of the bridge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Prop, it's proper Scotland when you're that side of the bridge. I know. I did try to say, you know, uh, uh, paddle prize winner 2014. Nothing. Nothing, nothing at all. They don't respect it. They don't respect. They don't respect the work I did in 2014. Wrong side of the bridge. Wrong side. This is the. Uh, so you're performing at. Uh, so sorry, Paul. Uh, would you give us the name of your show, please? Where you're on and what time you're on? My name of the show is One Sinner Lifetime. Uh, it's on at the Newtown Theatre and it's on at 4.40pm every day except the 16th. Except the 16th, wonderful. And so you're on the Salad Town, you're with The Stand? With The Stand, as yeah. I've always been since 2009. Yeah, your first show was, tw- uh, was it 2006? Uh, well, technically I'd love to claim that that was true because that was the first successful show. Right. But I took a, <laughs> but I took a show up in 2004 called Aspects of Love Actually, uh, The Gilded Balloon, where I detailed why I hate the film Love Actually. And I didn't calculate that the film had come out eight months previous. So actually, not, not that many people had seen the film. <laughs> it's not what it is now. It's no, famous it's now. For exactly, the... yeah. I've, written, I've actually written down some facts here, which I was quite proud of. So that was your first one, sorry, your, uh, the 2004. But was that like, was that an hour? Was that a, was it the 40 minute? Was it the cheat? It was the opposite. It was like, right. a, it was like the first one that went on for 80 minutes. And... <laughs> and and the guy on before me was Patrick Monaghan, so you can probably imagine how utterly wow. devoid of life these stage managers felt after Patrick Monaghan and then me for 80 minutes. So I had to actually cut it down uh, to 60 minutes because wow. my agent at the time, John Keyes, had not booked me a single preview. And so I went up not knowing what my show was and it ended up being 80 minutes. So it was the, it was the absolute opposite of, of coming in cheap. Do some sort of preview. <laughs> Well, you came to one of my previews uh, in 2019, really. Although it wasn't billed as such, was it? But no, it, it was billed as the show. <laughs> it was billed as the show. I always feel bad that you and uh, Ollie came in uh, to the show. You'd rushed. I think you'd come straight into Edinburgh, thrown your bags in the hotel, into the yeah, flat. Yeah, yeah. Come straight out to see the show, and uh, it sold out, on the. On, but it was because I didn't want anyone to come in because it wasn't rehearsed, and you had to sit through it. It was, it was great fun, though. It was, watch, it was watching Edinburgh comedy at its most raw 
uh, and everyone's got a highfalutin pretentious idea of what the fringe is all about yeah. and that was what the fringe was all about <laughs> if anyone ever says to me what was your most raw Edinburgh experience it was watching your first preview so your first show went off to a cracking start 80 minutes it was uh, known as the um, the uh, Gone with the Wind of comedy for <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a learning experience and I really I, uh, when I look back at all the Edinburgh's it was one of the ones that I most enjoyed right it was very much in that uh, drinking every night mm. uh, having fun with other comedians but just not selling any tickets nobody came to see it right. um, I should have I done a show on the free fringe as my, as my, as my first show um, nobody knew who I was Nobody had watched the film Love Actually. All the ingredients for nobody coming to watch the show were there. It was a perfect storm of <laughs> failure. And yeah. um, But I had a really, really good time. Where was it? Where was it? it was one of the top rooms at the Gilded Balloon. Like the, oh, right. the, the, one, the some, It was somewhere in that turret, yeah. Mm. And it was like 120 degrees every night. And, so hot, yeah. And um, it... I had fun doing the show, but no success at all. Uh, three reviews, I think. Three stars from three weeks. Uh, a moderate view from the stage and two stars from Chortle. Uh, Steve Bennett came to see it on the very, very last Monday night. And he looked like a broken man. <laughs> I think I might have been the only, I think I might have been the last show he saw that year. And He'd he run was, out of stars. He was, he, he was, yeah, he was just <laughs> half asleep. I, I would don't blame him. And my show was at about 11 as well, which didn't really help. 11 p.m. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, and also I was on... <laughs> I was opposite David O'Doherty, who had right. just had massive cues snaking back around the block wow. every night. And I was I was opposite him with my four... I think there was one to four people. They were lovely people. But I learned so much. I remember one, one of the shows, I was genuinely terrified because two people in the front row were like over 70, Right. And I just wasn't used to that as a comedy audience, and I was generally mm. terrified. And yet, an old woman, who, one, one of the ones, the, the female member of the partnership, walked up to me afterwards, just grabbed my wrist, and said, "Thank you. I can't tell you how much I hated that film." And, you, <laughs> and, and it got you to learn never to judge an audience; they're there for a reason. And do you long now? So I mean, obviously, that's two thousand four, uh, two thousand. Was it um, you were nominated in two thousand six? Weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, nominated. Basically, well, what is the Perrier Award has changed so many times. That was the If Dot Comedy. Award. I think it was If Dot Comedy or If Dot Com. I can't remember which one. Yeah. I mean, it's the Perrier Award in my head. Yeah. And and it, and in, in terms of marketing, we all say the Perrier still, don't they? I think mine was Foster's. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think that's the worst. And that still feels like the biggest thing that's happened to me in my life. I, I mm. wasn't. Ex- I worked hard on the show. Don't get me wrong, yeah. and I wanted to be a success. But you don't, unless you're an absolute sociopath. You surely don't come to Edinburgh thinking you're going to be voted one of the five best shows on the entire fringe of a thousand shows and whatnot. Um, it, it never even occurred to me. But then on the Monday, I was told I was on that long list. Mm. And that drives you insane. For a start, you don't know what a long list is. You yeah. don't know what the reality of it is. Uh, and you certainly weren't expecting to be told you're on a long list. Yeah. Uh, and then you start looking at everybody in your room, paranoid, you're paranoid about who everybody in your room is for two nights going, yeah. are you on the panel? Are you? And yeah. it just mess- And what I did that year was I got so drunk and stayed out so late on the Tuesday night that I knew that I'd sleep through the nomination. Ex- right, yeah. ex- except that that year they'd had a very lengthy debate. And so when I woke up, they still hadn't announced the nominees. But no, it was a massive shock. And I wouldn't be here now without without the impetus 
mm. uh, that that nomination gave because suddenly the world was aware that there was a gay Asian GP doing stand-up comedy. And yeah. as you can imagine, with the values of the BBC, that was ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching for me. Let's it get was. you on Radio 4. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> as you know I always see you as the second best gay Asian doctor on the on the comedy circuit behind me yeah always the bridesmaid I uh, <laughs> that's so, the definition of gay yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah always the best man never the man I uh, I have been best man three, four times now yeah. um, mm. I think you beat me by two do you think you've been asked to be best man twice? Because do you, do you think that those people think you are going to be great at the speech? That's what I think. I'm trying to remember how many times I've been best man. I've been best man three times. One was my uncle who lived in Vermont, and I don't think that really counted. He just couldn't think of anyone else. <laughs> and one and two were from close friendship points of views. But there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. When I did the speeches, there was I was already a professional comedian by the time I did the speeches. A best, a best man's speech, if you're a professional comedian, is not the trickiest. There's a, an element of just play on the pullback and reveal and just enjoy it. No, you're right. Now, but I, I, I don't want to hijack this interview now to tell my anecdote, but I did get told to just sit down during my best man's speech. <laughs> I had, it was one of the worst experiences I think I've had. I've never um, told, I've never told, I've never told this particular story, except occasion conversation. Well, I once went to a wedding in Monmouth where the bride's dad gave one of the most bitter, angry <laughs> speeches um, in which he said, he said, as a child, she was a big fan of Ladybird books. Unfortunately, her favourite one was the Ladybird version of Mein Kampf. <laughs> and you, wow. you, you just thought, that's, that's a gamble. That is yeah. an absolute gamble for the father of a bride to do. Did they download the speech from the lad Bible? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like they've gone to a copy and paste. <laughs> Insert name here. Uh, we've come back now. We'll come now to the new show. And but is this the show? So you were you were you were about on the tour. This is about you. You were going on a tour in twenty twenty. Yep. A little thing called the coronavirus yep. pandemic happened. Have you reconvened that tour now? No, I've completed that tour. Did the show for four nights last year at Edinburgh. Hazy oh. little thing called Love. Toured it again in various places in the last autumn and spring. Mm. And now the show doesn't exist other than large, large chunks of it in my club set. Excellent. Uh, as I've uh, now had to move on because life's not fair. No, and a lot of a lot of comedians are coming here with the show they've lovingly crafted since 2019, and I've come here with a show that I've lovingly crafted since June this year. Um, <laughs> so because you got to life moves on, uh, and yeah. you know the last show, which I think was the best show that I've ever done, yeah. um, has contributed massively to my club set yeah. and made me the only openly Parkinson's comedian on the club circuit which is a nice place to be because people aren't expecting when they come out to hear such dark material. Yeah. Uh, and it's, an, it's, it's a nice place to be. But I've got to move on. And yeah. so this, that's the new show, One Sinner Lifetime, which yeah. I must admit, the title came a long way before the show. <laughs> it is a great title. It is a great title. Mm. And um, I, that's why I've decided to do a show that's basically about autobiography. It's about right. the idea that I'd like to write, genuinely, I'd like to get a book published uh, and it talks through a why it's not happened yet, yeah. and b the sort of what I call the B list stories because the yeah. A list stories um, have already been in my stand up. Yeah. And so this is me trying to be funny about the B list stories, 
I think there's one story there that I would call A-list about being investigated by the French police for the theft of some lingerie from a student's suitcase in 1983, uh, which I'm surprised I've never told the story about before. Because you go look through your life and go, oh my good lord, that happened. I I was genuinely investigated by the French police for the theft of female laundry in 1983. Um, uh, I mean, can we just ask, I don't want to ruin the story, guilty or not guilty? Well, you'll have to find out, won't you? (laughs) I'll get the audience to decide. You showed me a clip before of you playing, uh, doing a song about who to go to uh, in Edinburgh. I was saying I've seen uh, other songs. Is that an element that you brought into? I have seven songs... Uh, I say it out loud rather than as a surprise because I don't want people who hate musical comedy to come to my show and then be angry that it's musical comedy. But what happened is in in the New Zealand Comedy Festival in 2019, Mm. I was invited to play the piano in in Auckland by a guy who'd heard from Lloyd Langford that I could play the piano really well. Mm. But when Lloyd Langford saw me, it was in 2004 at the Love Actually Year in Edinburgh, where I was on a piano from about 10 in the evening to 4 in the morning in someone's house party somewhere, right at the end of the fringe, and playing with freedom and abandon, because I used to be a good piano player. I am not a good piano player anymore because of the Parkinson's, and therefore it makes me more... excuse, mate. Practice, practice. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore I'm using that as an excuse to play the piano more, because I don't give a shit anymore yeah as far as i'm concerned now is the time to do all the things that you wanted to do in comedy but you couldn't do because you were too self-conscious or too worried that it wouldn't work and so i've molded myself not in club comedy because in club mm. comedy i just want to tell the jokes and get the laughs and bang bang yeah but in um in a one-hour show i'm trying different things um and seems to be going quite well but you just i've only done 15 previews so it's quite exciting to not completely trust the product that you're in until you... Uh, so for people who are listening, this interview is the day before my first show. Yes. So I'll yeah. know more about the, the show tomorrow. Mm. Because you know previous season well enough to know every gig is so different. Yeah, I mean, I dream of 15 previews. As, <laughs> as, as, as we well, said earlier, yeah. I didn't do anything for my 2019 one. But, but every, uh, every gig is so different, especially yeah, yeah. somebody like me that gets an audience sometimes almost entirely just want to see the guy from The Chase as opposed to the comedian Paul Sinner. Mm. Uh, and so I find previous season a really stressful thing to go through because I've got this vision of who I want to be as a comedian yeah. that uh, people that only know me from the telly don't necessarily share. Have you found that the fame and following you um, garnered from being on the chase, has that, um, would you say, has helped your comedy more than hindered it? Or? It definitely helped. Yeah. I mean, everything has, a, has everything, a silver lining as a cloud, but I can't be ungrateful for the fact that I sell more tickets in comedy than I did before I was on the chase. I can't be ungrateful for that. And the way I always look at it is, if you've bought a ticket to come and see me, I'm grateful to you. Yeah. But please don't expect me to just be doing jokes about the chase. No. I have, I have. It's not that I don't do jokes about the chase. I do because I know what people. You know, that's very much part of my life, and I talk about my life, so I will talk about the chase. But uh, I feel there's more ambition to my comedy, and I'm, I'm trying to go for a bigger, a bigger picture. Of which that big picture is, I'm an increasingly famous person for being in the public eye on the chase and indeed for being diagnosed with Parkinson's three years ago. Mm. The combination of the two has made me a well-known person and that's very much part of my life. So it's part of the tableau that you're painting, but it's not the be-all and end-all. 
of what I do as a comedian. What a lovely episode we're having so far, but let's have a little break now because it's not all about Paul. These are some of the guests that you can look forward to hearing throughout the rest of the series. I don't know how to be earnest in front of you. I remember one night bouncing an imaginary ball between me and another man. It was kind of a strange <laughs> thing. What I like. He's still bouncing it. Yeah, yeah. And everyone was crying and talking about their feelings. <laughs> I'm like, this is not what a house party's meant to be. I hope there's someone sat there. Yeah. Because to them, I must look like a psychopath. Because I'm talking to an empty chair. Yeah, that's weird. Those crazy kids. Anyway, back to Paul. Yeah, I like your attitude of saying you don't, not that you don't care, but you haven't got those inhibitions that you would have had. I, w- I wish more people had seen my last show, Hazy Little Thing Called Love. Is it Is online that, or? No, it's, it, it just doesn't, doesn't exist. Did you not want to record? Did you not? We just never got to the right situation with the pandemic really chopping up the tours, the touring part of the show. We never just got a chance to think the conditions were never quite right to record it. Right. But it was basically my fun show in that I got to talk about Parkinson's in the most blunt and dark and sometimes distasteful manner and just go, my disease, my jokes, I'll do it as, as, I, as I see fit. And I threw in a bit of hula hooping and a bit of musical interludes. And and it was really, really good fun to just do anything I liked. Yeah. Um, and that's what I want to continue to do. And that's why there are seven songs yeah. in the show. We're all still waiting for the big reveal that, that you don't have Parkinson's. That's that would be amazing, for. wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, I'd be absolutely delighted, but I'd feel guilty yeah. about what I'd done to the nation. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I would be delighted to find out that it's all been a bad dream. Uh, however, I don't think it's likely to happen. <laughs> you were nominated in uh, 2006 for the If.com Comedy Award. Um, amazing. Like you say, it's one of those moments, I suppose, you just don't imagine yeah. happening. When you found out that you hadn't won the... Well, you, you were nominated for Best Show, weren't you? Yeah. 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 Do you remember who won Best Show? Yeah, absolutely. Phil Nickel. Phil Nickel, of mm-hmm. course, for the na- naked, naked racist. The naked racist. Um, amazing. And who, who won Best Newcomer that year? Josie Long. Josie That's a good year then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Never was, had any disappointment in not winning. I mean, not even an iota of disappointment. I suppose the only thing was by his name beginning with P, when they announced that there was a microsecond where I thought it might be me. But other than that, it just never occurred to me because we are clang with a massive favourites for that award. They they absolutely dominated that year's uh, Edinburgh buzz. Mm. They had one of the best rooms, the Pleasance Beside, the Pleasance, there were queues going back. Nobody could talk about anything other than we are clang that year. Yeah, and so I just cool. assumed that we are clang were going to win. It never occurred to me that I was going to win. But in one of the funnier things... There'd recently been a failed terrorist attack, I think in July, after which they brought in the 100 mils uh, th- uh, liquid re- regulations. And the Daily Mirror tipster, whose name I forget, I oh, know, Derek McGovern, mm. on the Saturday afternoon, uh, the Saturday morning Daily Mirror that day, had tipped everyone to put a bunny on me to win the Perrier Award, saying, in the current climate, wouldn't it send out a great message to give the award to an Asian comedian? <laughs> And I was like, that's literally the most ridiculous thing I've read about me. That somehow I should win the award because there's been some terrorism. Yes, um, but uh, it but... has been revealed that in the 80s, the French police are investigating past crimes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's not... Uh... But, no, but that's how surreal it was. And um, 
I had no disappointment at all at not winning because I that you know mm. it's a massive cliche that the nomination was the victory for me, but it absolutely was. Uh, when you um, found out that you had Parkinson's, when when it came to work, did you think, oh that 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 doesn't matter now, just forget. Like I would go, I'll oh, forget comedy. I'm going to go. I'm going to get that caravan. And go no, it was or the absolute opposite. It? it was a th- well. It was, in, it was the end of May 2019, so the first thing I had to do was cancel Edinburgh because I didn't want people buying tickets. Mm. And I, I, I couldn't come to Edinburgh because I had no idea what the next two months were going to... what was going to happen in the next two months. Yeah. And therefore I had to cancel Edinburgh. Uh, after that, uh, I got given medication that made me slightly manic and very creative. Uh, and I managed to write a, a, a pretty much a full-length show that I would have taken to Edinburgh, but, but for cancelling it, mm. in August and September... So I had a product, because mainly because of how manic uh, the med- yeah, yeah. my original medication had made me. Suddenly I was just writing jokes left, right and centre and just coming up with ideas. Oh, amazing. Um, and I missed that medication, but I don't miss it. I was about to ask pills knocking about it. <laughs> I, I certainly wouldn't recommend the side effects. No. <laughs> um, and so I had a, a product at all by January 2020. And so mm. it, it was the opposite, which is I've always loved both quizzing and comedy, mm. and this made me even more determined to stay at the stay somewhere near the top. Yeah. I wanted to be the comedian that had Parkinson's. I was completely honest and upfront about it, yeah. and in the public eye, and performing comedy. And my God, the first couple of months was really. I mean, I did a gig in a pub in Kent. No, I did, I did a gig in a banana. Oh yeah, I don't think it somebody just gave me a hundred pounds afterwards. Really? Yeah, well, I remember the I, I, I didn't. I, I try, honestly, I tried to turn it down for about ten seconds, and I thought, no, if he wants to give me a hundred pounds, he can give me a hundred pounds. He just, <laughs> just slipped. He just get. He just gave me a hundred pounds, really? and it's like talking. It's amazing how much people can be emotionally affected by genuine truth on stage. Yeah. yeah. And what I've decided to do with the Parkinson's is be. That's perhaps the area where I do the least amount of exaggeration because I want what I say about Parkinson's to be true Mm. uh, rather than exaggerated stories about truth. Uh, And and it can be very powerful. And, you know, doing weekends at the comedy store where you're standing on stage talking about this progressive illness that you've got is really quite empowering because you're you're looking at people's faces going, fuck. Didn't think it was going to turn out. Yeah, didn't think yeah, our yeah. evening out was going to turn out like this. But always with the jokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing with comedy, isn't it? Yeah. That it doesn't matter what you're talking about. It's always got to be with the jokes. That yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I saw Justin Morehouse's preview on Sunday, and it was fabulous. It was amazing. Yeah. He yeah. talks very frankly about his dad, in the most mor- who's passed away sadly, in the most least mawkish, sentimental, and go right for the belly laughs way yeah, yeah. and I think that everybody that brings shows I mean it, it's always talking about this is almost as much of a cliche as talking as comedians making mistakes about it but you've got to remember that for all your pathos and for all the meaningful stuff that you're talking about on stage it has to be accompanied by jokes yeah. otherwise you're a TED talk there are exceptions yeah. the last 15 minutes of Hannah Gadsby's show Nanette was one of the most powerful 15 minutes of comedy that I'd seen. But she had been funny for 45 minutes. <laughs> she yeah, had yeah. Been, so there are exceptions to the rule. Um, and I really, really, really loved Hannah Gadsby's show, Nanette. 
But in general, people have come to have a laugh. Yeah. And if you have to delve into really dark stuff to bring that laugh, then fine. Yeah. But you've got to have, bring that laugh. Otherwise, you don't you don't want people at the end of your show to go, oh. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what they do after mine and just go, <laughs> where'd you get your money back? Where the <laughs> Where's the refund tent? <laughs> Paul, that's been wonderful. I don't want to take up any more of your time. This has been, well, it's been lovely catching up. It's been really good. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen you, mate. I know it's been yeah, it's been three few, years. Three years. And uh, one more time, please, Paul. Would you would you say um, uh, what the name of your show is? What time it's on and where it's at? There are seven songs. There are seven songs in the show One Sinner Lifetime, which is on at the Newtown Theatre every day, apart from the sixteenth, at four forty p.m. Paul Sinner, thank you very much for joining. It's been us. a joy. It's been a joy. Yep, yeah, you too. But you too, that's not even the correct word. Yes, you too, <laughs> bye. <laughs> it's been a long day. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, episode three will be out tomorrow. Please do like and subscribe and share it if you can. And uh, if you didn't like it, just keep your mouth shut. Okay, bye. Bye.